we're going to continue our series this morning on who will be saved. We started this a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're going to talk about belief today. Last week we talked about knowledge. And I want to start with this question. What do you do with new information? And, and we could receive new information from a variety of sources, right? Uh, we could receive it from the internet, which we talked about at length this morning, or you hear something from a friend, or you read it in a book, right? We receive new information, something we previously had never heard or didn't know. Really, there's only three options whenever we receive some new piece of information. Either we accept it as true and internalize it, so this is a true fact, and, and then I'm going to make it part of my, my mental worldview because I think it's true. Or we reject it as false. I'm not going to let that influence my thinking. I'm not going to agree with that. I'm not going to let that affect how I, how I process things. It's just not true. There's a third option, which is we accept part of it and modify the knowledge to fit our needs. And, and again, we could do this with any, any new piece of information we receive, and we think, you know... Maybe that's half true or 25% true, and so I'll accept what I think the part that's true, and the rest of it I'll ignore, and we modify it. That's what we do. While we looked last week at knowledge as a necessity for salvation, and, uh, and we looked at several passages, but the main one being, of course, in Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent, the implication being what? Ignorance is not an excuse. You need to have knowledge, and that would be a new piece of information for everybody, right? And, and especially in their day. In our day, not so much. A lot of, well, it depends where you are. In this country, especially, a lot of people already have the information and they've decided what to do with it. So that's what we're going to be focusing on. How do you receive that knowledge? What do you do with that knowledge? How do you react to that knowledge? We'll begin with Romans 10, 13 through 17. Uh, and we read this last week as well. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And of course, the implied answer is what? Well, they can't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard for us from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We can see in this text the chain of salvation from ignorance to action, right? We have ignorance. I don't have the information. And then I hear the information. I receive the information. I accept it and I believe it. And then what do I do? I call on the name of the Lord. And there's a lot of elements to calling on the name of the Lord, but that's the action then that this belief would lead to. Second thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my brief spiel about faith and belief in Scripture. Uh, you can't use uh, faith as a verb, right? So right here, Lord, who has faithed what he believed? That's not how it works. So in English, we have to use the word belief. In Scripture, these are the same word, verb form, noun form. So if you believe, that means you have faith. Now, I think in English, there's a, a little bit of a different connotation there. It's important to note in Scripture, they're not. They're not different. One is the same, just we don't have an English verb for faith, so we have to use belief. Hebrews 3, 17 through 4, 2. And with whom, this is the reading that was read for us, and, and I think this verse really highlights the insufficiency of knowledge. Just hearing the information is obviously not enough. 
Rome, uh, Hebrews 3, 17 through 4, 2. This is talking about the Israelites. Of course, they're told to go into the land of Canaan and, and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you conquer and I'm going to help you overcome. And of course, they go. They send the spies into the land of Canaan. And what happens? They see that they're, 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 they're huge people. They, we, they, we can't possibly be, beat these people in battle. We can't possibly overcome. We're not possibly going to win even though God said that they would, right? So they come back, the spies, and the, the, of course, 10 of them are all like, yeah, well, we, we, we can't do it. And then, of course, two of them are like, yeah, we could do it. We definitely could do this. And who did the people believe? Those who said, ah, there's no way we can win. And then that's what he's talking about here, right? With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. What is he talking about here? Of wondering. You don't believe in me? I told you you can do this. I told you I would be with you. And yet you didn't believe. You believe these ten dudes that tell you something different? Okay, you're going to have to wander around till a whole generation dies off. Till you all die of old age, wandering around in the wilderness. You guys don't get to go into the land of Canaan because you did not believe that I would do what I said I would do. Therefore, let us fear if, while we, sorry, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us. What's the good news? It was preached to us. It wasn't going to the land of Canaan and I'll, I'll let you conquer. What? The gospel of Jesus, that word good news, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. The knowledge of God's commands and promises, I say were slash are, for them it was not and for us it is not, they are insufficient unless that knowledge leads to belief, right? And this goes back to how we receive new information. I receive a piece of new information, in this case, the good news that has been preached to us, and I do what? I either accept it as true, or I reject it as false, or I modify it, change it to fit my purposes. Only one of those is belief, right? So let's talk about faith, and again, I'm using these in interchangeably. What is faith, or what do those who want to be saved need to believe in? What is, what is it that we're doing there? Faith, Hebrews 11, we'll look at a couple of passages. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, of course, the famous passage, right? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews 11, 6, just a few verses later. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. We see the, the verb noun form there, right? The interchangeability of the two words. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I think Hebrews 11.6 may be the most practical, succinct verse on faith in the whole Bible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would, what is it, draw near to God must believe but two things that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that verse, obviously. There's a lot of implications if I believe that God exists. 
What are the implications of that? Well, then what does God want from me? What has God said to me? What has God done for me? What has God told me? All of the things of acquiring information. And, and if I genuinely believe in God, then I'm going to what? Seek him. I'm not just going to let it be passive. I'm not just going to sit back and let him come to me. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to him. And there's a lot to unpack in that, which we will in the next few weeks of these lessons. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of, the, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In both this text and the previous text, what? We see that faith necessarily goes beyond knowledge. The things that we can know in, in a very similar uh, there's a lot of different ways to explain this, and I had several in my head that I'm debating. Faith, obviously, the way that he says this, though you have not seen him, and then what does he say here? The, convict, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We cannot equate faith with something that we can know like this podium. I see this podium, I touch this podium, if I really was, if I wanted to, I could push the podium off and it would, I very firmly know that if I push this podium off of the, the stage, that it will make a loud noise and be a horrible disaster and it would be just horrible. I know that in a way, different way than I know and have faith and believe in God. Because I don't see God. I don't, I can't touch him. I can't taste him. I can't hug him, right? I can't have that same sort of, of knowledge. Now, that's not to say that our faith, of course, is without evidence. That's not to say that there's not good reasons for believing in God. But the very essence of biblical belief is that it is something beyond simple knowledge. It is something more than simply understanding a thing. Belief exists on a spectrum. One of the most interesting verses on faith, I think, in the whole Bible, and they, he uses unbelief and believes in this text, Mark 9, 20 through 24, a boy who has had some issues, they brought the boy to him, and when the spirits uh, saw him, immediately convulsed, uh, okay, so let's get some context. They brought the boy to Jesus, I could have started earlier, I guess. They brought the boy to Jesus, and when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, and, and I, you know, I, I have often said about the inflection. How is inflection going on? You can, I think, really easily see the inflection that Jesus has here. If you can, like, who do you think I am, Right? All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, and, and you think about what's going on here, how he's saying this. His son is in danger for his life constantly. This spirit is causing him so much vexation and difficulty. And, and if you had, this had been going on for years and years, how would you feel as a, as a father? That you, there's nothing that you can do that you're at, you're at the end of your rope. There's, there's no possible way that you can help. And this has been going on for years and years, and, and, and he's, he's finally maybe going to get help if you believe. Maybe he says it quietly. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe he says it loudly. I do believe. Help my unbelief. 
He believed in some sense, right? He believed enough to bring the boy to Jesus. He believed enough that Jesus was special and powerful. He had some belief in that. Otherwise, he would not have brought the boy. He just would have stayed at home. He just would have, he would not have gone to this effort. So he did have some amount of faith in Jesus. But obviously, maybe not the extent that he should. Maybe not the complete belief that he needed to have. Because he still has some doubts, right? If you can do anything. I'm not sure that you can do anything. But I believe that there's a chance. I believe that you're special. I believe that you might be able to. And what is Jesus saying here? Don't believe halfway. Believe all of it. Believe that I definitely can. You already believe that I'm someone special. Why stop there? If you believe, all things are possible. I think sometimes we feel this way, don't we? That I do believe in God. I have faith that God exists. I probably even believe that God rewards those who seek Him. But maybe I doubt His power in my life. I doubt His ability to help me. Or maybe I doubt his willingness to help me. I'm not sure that he can overcome my sin. That I can be better than I was through his power. I believe in God in a general sense. But in my specific circumstance, I have doubt that he can help. James says something similar in James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How is the doubting prayer double-minded? Again, if I'm praying to God, what does that say? I do believe that there is a God. I believe that he exists, that he is someone that I should be praying to. I believe enough that I am going through the act of the prayer. But then I'm not sure that he'll give me wisdom. I'm not sure that he'll do what he said. And this goes back to the three ways we accept information, right? I receive new information. Either I accept it as true or I reject it as false or I only accept part of it is true. And this is what happens with a lot of people, I think. We hear the message of the gospel, the content of God's word for our lives. And we accept part of it. We accept some of it. We internalize a lot of it, but not all of it. We have this partial faith, right? Maybe it's personal. You, you don't believe that God could help you specifically, or you don't believe that you can be forgiven, or maybe it's doctrinal. I believe some of the teaching of Scripture, but I don't believe all of the teaching of Scripture. That part of it is something I need to do, but the other part I can just ignore. I don't know. We do this in a lot of different ways. That's not good enough. Our faith in God is an all-or-nothing proposition. Now, I, I do believe, obviously, it is something that waxes and wanes, and it's something that we increase as we grow, and in our persistent faith, we 
I hope, let me put it this way, I hope that you believe more now than you used to. I hope that you've grown in that, that your faith is stronger than it once was. But if you're going to believe part of the message, believe all of the message. Don't pick and choose for whatever reason, either your own insecurities or your own doubts, or you don't want to do it, or there's parts of it you don't like. None of the reasons are acceptable. You either believe all or believe none. Well, let's put it this way. Either you believe all or your end result will be as if you believed none. That will be the result for your life. Don't pick and choose what parts of the message to believe. And, of course, we can think about the other end of the spectrum. We can act righteously without having faith. Matthew 23, 25 through 26 as Jesus is in his midst of condemning the Pharisees, woe to you! I don't know. Again, I wonder how he said this. Probably loudly is how I imagine it. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Now, I think the Pharisees probably believed at least some part of what they needed to. They believed in God, for sure. But obviously, the in, what does he say, the inside? The, their hearts, right? Their hearts and their minds, their emotions, their, their thoughts, their understanding— was not what it needed to be. And so they did these righteous acts. That's what he means by cleaning the outside of the cup. The things that the public were able to see of them, they were behaving righteously and they were praying on the street corners and they were reading the scriptures and they were teaching others and, and they were doing all of these righteous acts, but they did not have the faith they needed to have. Why would we do that? Why would somebody who didn't have faith act righteously? I can think of a couple of reasons. Probably the biggest one is family. I don't really believe in this Christianity thing, but I'll go through the motions because I want to save my marriage or I want to keep part of my inheritance or I want to have good relationships with my siblings or my parents or whoever. And so, yeah, that's right, Gwen. And so I don't really believe in the message. I don't really believe in all of the things in Scripture but I'll come to church, and I'll pray at mealtimes, and I'll serve other people, and I'll give, and I'll do these righteous things, but I don't really believe. Why else would somebody do that? There's one other main reason, and that's sort of hedging, right? I'm, I'm going to hedge my eternity. I'm not sure I really believe in, in God, but I will act as if I do because you know, if I'm wrong, it's going to be horrible. There's a, a, a Pascal's wager, Blaise Pascal, a, a philosopher several hundred years ago who sort of made this wager, right? If you, if you believe in God and you're wrong, well, that's okay. You're going to die like everybody else, and there's not really going to be that much downside because you'll just be gone. If you believe in God and you're right, of course, you'll have infinite blessing. If you don't believe in God and you're wrong, well, that would be bad, right? Infinite punishment if you don't believe in God and you're right, well, you don't get any benefit out of that. You're just going to die like the rest of them. And, and that's a very sort of calculated, unfaithful way to relate to God. That's not, there's not really faith in that, right? There's not real genuine belief in that. I'm just going to do this sort of to hedge my bets that maybe God exists, so I better act righteously so that if I die, maybe I'll go to heaven. And that's not belief. 
right? That's not what we're talking about here. What does he say in Hebrews eleven six? It's impossible to please God without faith, for the one who would draw near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Yeah, maybe you're thinking about the reward, but you're not really thinking about your belief in him. You're not really trying to please God. So we could go the other way. Maybe I don't have enough faith, and that leads me into doubting and not doing the things I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'm trying to fake it. And guess what? You could fake us. You could, you could trick us. You could fool me. You're not fooling God, right? Who will be saved? Only those who believe. It's quite simple, really. Romans 3, 21 through 26, we read this again last week, but we're, I'm going to focus on a different part of it today. As we go through the series, by the way, you're going to see a lot of Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, specifically for who? All who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Let's pause there. The first three chapters of Romans, he's building this great case. The Jews are sinful, the Gentiles are sinful, everybody's sinful. Nobody's perfect. Nobody, nobody can stand before God and say, I deserve salvation. No, no, nobody can do that. And so what is the, the answer to that, right? Nobody can do that. So what? Who is going to be righteous? And here's what he's saying. Only those who believe. Through, where did I stop? We're going to go back. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What am I supposed to believe? Well, at the bare minimum, I'm supposed to believe in Jesus. And, and again, as our faith grows, most people who become Christians are not familiar with the intimate complexities of Scripture, right? At the very beginning, what? We believe in Jesus, that he came, he lived a perfect life, he died for my sins, he rose again so that I might have forgiveness. That's what I believe in. And then I, of course, do the things that he demands that I do, which we'll go into through the next few lessons. But at this point, initial outset what i have to believe that jesus was who he said he was and this goes back to what peter said though you have not seen him you love him i haven't seen jesus none of us have seen jesus now there were people back then that saw jesus and thomas is a classic example of this thomas doubting thomas of course jesus is raised from the dead and he appears to some of the apostles and what does thomas say eh, i don't believe that he received this information, and he rejected it. You guys are crazy. I don't know what he would have said exactly. He didn't believe. And so Jesus appears then to Thomas, and he does. He feels the, the holes in the side, right? And he's, oh, my Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say to him? You have seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. That would be us. That would be all of us in this room, hopefully. Those of us who have not seen and still believed in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 20-24. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save who? Those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. This belief, I, should, I put might in here. I really could just remove might. This belief will not be easy or popular. It goes against the wisdom of the world. Oh, you believe in that old nonsense, that ancient book? Why would you believe in that? That's stupid. You're dumb, right? Everybody who knows, a lot of people who know about the content of Scripture, they don't believe it. What do they do? They reject it. Oh, that's ridiculous. Maybe Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't really God. Maybe Jesus was just a charlatan. He just tricked everybody into it. And the, the writers of the New Testament, you know they're all a bunch of liars, right? Why would you believe that? That's the wisdom of the world. But it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. That is, the thing that we preach appears foolish to the world. Which means what? That only those who believe that will be saved. What do we preach? Christ crucified. That he came, he lived the perfect life, he died for your mistakes and sins, and he was raised so that you might have forgiveness. It's a very simple question at the end of this lesson. Do you believe 